Welcome to Bank the Fire. I'm your host, Bob, and I started this podcast as an excuse to sit down with interesting people and share my conversations with you. I meet with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and friends to discuss what drives and motivates them, their definition of success, and what they do to keep themselves going. Today, I sit down with Zawadi Morris, founder of BK Reader. We discuss how she accidentally started her Brooklyn-centric media company, the sustainability of news media, and manifesting one's goals. Please enjoy. Zawadi Morris. I could have looked you up, but I kind of like hearing the story from scratch. I don't know how it is that you started BK Reader. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, well, thank you for even being interested in the story, first of all. Girl, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, just for context, BK Reader is a digital daily news site. We are the first Black-owned, woman-owned um digital local daily in New York state. And I won't, I won't call it an accident. It wasn't my intention to start BK reader at all. It sounds like an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the time that I was about to start BK reader, I was also actively looking for a job. BK reader is in a interesting class of newspapers. Um, at the time when I launched it in 2013, it was, a new sort of pathway for journalism called hyperlocal that people were beginning to really explore and, you know, greater numbers across the country. So it was in a new space for journalism. And I had just been let go from AOL's patch. Patch was probably the, the first major entree into trying to set up a collective of hyperlocal mm. news sites across the country. Um, back in 2000, around 2010, 2011. And it was an experiment of sorts, but it ended up being a failed experiment as well. What they thought they'd be able to do by setting up these hyper-local sites was scale um, the same business model that they had on the print side, which is through subscriptions and through advertising, but on a local level. And it did not work. Mm -hmm. But I mean, to make to really understand why, because right now, Hyperlocal journalism is going through, and journalism in general, news sites are going through a serious seismic shift and a lot of them are closing. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened. I think it was a symptom of the the same thing back in 2013 when our patch, my patch, BK Reader, I'm sorry, Brooklyn uh, Bed-Stuy patch failed was for the very same reason. And we're still quaking and still dealing with that problem. So the, the problem starts with the internet, believe it or mm -hmm, not. Mm -hmm. So the internet, which really started taking off, I think, as a public forum for people to use and communicate around the early 2000s, it was formed without a payment layer on it. Mm. And, I, and, and many people, although we were exciting because it decentralized information and allowed us to be able to kind of reach places almost immediately that we you know, previously weren't able to reach like Dubai mm -hmm. <laughs> or Addis Ababa or, you know, all the way to Japan. We could we could all of a sudden be in those places and see what was going on culturally, politically, economically, all those things. All of us, we had access to it with the click of at the time, the click of a mouse. And um, it was an amazing revolution for us in terms of our communication, like I said, by decentralizing communication and, and just making it available to everyone. But because it was formed without a payment layer, um, I think there was a huge oversight in um, devaluing the 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 cost and, of information. Mm -hmm. And there was one primary industry that was uh, actually living off of information, and that was news. Mm -hmm. So um, within just a couple of years after folks started enrolling into this whole Internet idea in the early 2000s, you know, we had developed a culture of not paying for the information that you know, mm -hmm. came across. Mm -hmm. Literally, we had so much coming at us at one time and um, nobody was forced to pay for it. It was all free. Mm -hmm. And the newspapers were trying their best not to be a part of that whole swept up into like the internet. They wanted to make sure that their print publications still could earn and people would still pick up the print publications mm -hmm. because they knew that there was no, you know, monetized space really for information online. But over time, people started 
spending so much of their time online that you saw things like blogs popping up and people talking about what was going on on their block. And they were doing what was called citizen journalism without being journalists, without being real researchers, but really just sharing on their blog, you know, what was happening. And that was picking up speed. People were more interested in that than picking up the paper. And so the paper started getting very nervous Mm -hmm. Um, around 2004, 2005. They're like, people are actually reading their little local blogs about what's happening in their neighborhood than picking up our paper and, you know, in greater frequency and we're losing money. And so eventually we were forced, newspapers were forced online. But by that time, nobody was willing to pay for subscriptions. Yeah. Nobody was willing to, you know, the advertising, um, whereas you could get $10,000 in a, in one week for an ad in the New York times, all of a sudden online, you know, you'd be lucky to get a thousand dollars for that same amount of time and space in a digital space. And so our two primary forms of revenue, both ads and advertising and subscriptions were pretty much decimated the minute that we moved online and it, it affected the newspaper industry. You saw closings happening starting in around 2004, 2005, almost immediately. It was either stay in print and die or go online and have a slower death. So, um, but what they did take note of was the fact that people were, because of all the noise, there's this phenomenon that happens anywhere you go, when you're in a crowded space, you tend to con- contract into yourself when you're in a, a wide open space, you reach. So before the internet, we were all reaching. When the internet happened, within just you know a matter of <laughs> a year, we were all this noise. We closed up, and we started wanting to demarcate our um, who we are. You know, mm. like who am I? All this noise, all these people around me, all these voices, all these you know presence that I see. People individually wanted to uh, define who they were in that space. And so what you saw was the birth of place, uh, social media, Facebook, mm. where we could redefine ourselves in a space, a very crowded space. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, mean, I mean, this all is happening within like the first 10 years, like from two, 1999 to like 2010, we're seeing this huge revolution in the way we communicate, how we define ourselves and all these other things. And newspapers were like, okay, we're not social media. People are no longer see the value of us and people are going to blogs to get their information. How do we um, reestablish our value within all this information? And Patch thought that by going hyper-local, like everybody was turning hyper-local everything, social media, everything was turning hyper-local. So by going hyper-local, that'd be an answer and, and opening sites all around the country. Then people would come back to us as a mm-hmm. new site. And how they planned to finance it was, instead of having big brands take out ads, we'll have the small local businesses because they'll want to support mm. these hyper-local you know, places. It didn't translate like that at all. You know, AOL would send out their sales team to ask the businesses to take out ads not understanding that these businesses um, weren't in that culture of advertising either. And, you know, and what AOL was asking was not in their budget. And so within a couple of years, they started bleeding money. It was like they were hemorrhaging money Mm because no one was taking out ads like the big brands were doing. And um, but the local part, the the news parts, was that taking off at all and just couldn't support itself? So the news, absolutely. I think people still crave hyper-local news. That yeah. kind of was... But I mean, like, uh, with that platform, with Patch, like, where was there lots of readership happening? There was. Locally? It was growing, you know? It, it, there was an interest and it was growing. But not keeping... But advertising just wasn't keeping pace with it. Yes. Yeah. So here you have, you know, this you're fully staffed around the country in these different little mm. patches and... Some local businesses were taking out ads. Some weren't, but most weren't, especially not in major cities. And um, they ended up closing. And when they closed, I was the editor of Best Eye Patch for three years. And um, when they closed, I my thought was to go to a major legacy paper like New York Times and just, I had, I had written for them for two years prior to Patch and see if I can get a full-time job. And I had, I was approached by a city council member and uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who's at the time was running to be a representative and they both said to me, we heard about the patch closing. I was I like retracted, like, Oh my God, like you heard already. It just happened yesterday. Oh my like, God. Yeah. I saw them the next day and they're like, we want you to keep it going. They both encouraged me to keep it going. They're like the type of reporting that you brought to Bedford Stuyvesant 
and and the lens that you brought it through mm-hmm. made a big difference and it mattered to us and you should keep it going. I said, yeah, but how am I going to finance it? I would have the same problems as AOL, if not more, because I'm just this one person and not this big company. And Lori's answer to that was, well, if you were a small business and AOL came walking in and asking you to take out $2,000 ad from your business and you've never seen them before and they've never been in your neighborhood and community and contributed in any way, it's like, what would you say? And they're like, but if they've been seeing you report now for six years, we know who you are. We love your reporting. If you came up to them and just asked them for a $100 ad, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be a different response. Six years? Because you were with Patch for three years. Yeah. And prior to that, I was writing with the New York Times on a hyperlocal level for, for two years. Uh, got it. Oh, so I didn't realize it was also hyperlocal for New York Times. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they tried to experiment. They shut down, too. This was called the local. They shut down. Wow. But, they, but they told me as a consolation, we know that. Patch is hiring. They gave me actually a recommendation. So this is two rounds of big outlets trying to do hyper-local, and they both shut down. And your local councilman is like, hey, you got to keep local councilman and city council person and was running for um, rep. Saying to you, like, hey, you got to keep this going. Yes. And I was like, well, how am I? You know, and he said, well, your approach needs to be different. He's like, you can't. They, what... AOL's big mistake was they were trying to take a, a corporate model and um, apply it like, you know, for they, they felt that taking a corporate approach to news and a corporate model and applying it on a hyper local level was going to work. And actually, each outlet had to be customized for that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You can't send the same sort of news out and the same sort of ads out to a town in Ohio that you would send to Brooklyn. Right. And And generalized corporate is really generalized. Corporate is about economies of scale. So they take the big and then they apply it, you know, it's like drop down. You can't do that. That's the antithesis of what hyperlocal is. It has to be bottom up. Like each individual has to be cultivated for each neighborhood Mm -hmm. that has different needs. Like Mm -hmm. we have, you know, East New York has even very different needs than Park Slope. Mm-hmm. So even trying to report from that neighborhood versus a Park Slope, sure. you know, is extremely different. Imagine across the country, and it just wasn't working, how they were trying to scale it, how they were trying to, their business model in terms of revenue, yeah. that wasn't working. And so I was like, I can't I can't solve those problems by myself and, you mm-hmm. know, start a site. And he's like, well, we need you and we need these voices, so go around. So I went around to all of these merchants and different institutions, you know, like Restoration and 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 all these people that I had built relationships with over the years through just reporting for them and told them what I was trying to do and keep it going and asked them for a $100 ad and every single one said yes. So I started out with like 12 ads and I had about $1,200 to start BK Reader. <laughs> and um, we're talking it, about 2013. 2013. Yeah. Yeah. And so I hired someone to build the site for about five. And I, you know, of course, they're the ancillary cost for like the server and all these other things. So I actually launched three and a half months later in 2013 um, BK Reader by myself. And you know, was just hoping and praying that the ads would continue, that they'll take out another one the next month. And a few did. And um, then I got a nice contract from the Department of Health in that second year, a year contract to um, work with them. That kept me going for that second year. And then, I mean, for the first two years, I did all the reporting in four neighborhoods that I focused on, four underserved neighborhoods. And then after two years, I started bringing in interns and training them. And having Wait, give me a second. I don't know if people understand this. You were doing all the reporting and trying to garner people to advertise with you so you could so you could actually fund this project yeah Mm -hmm. it was very hard it was very that sounds like that that's it's still hard i mean for folks who don't know that's like two full-time jobs like writing itself like writing and then editing like forget that like going out and getting the story to begin with and like what it is that you're writing about and maintaining your network of relationships with everyone in four different neighborhoods yeah hoping they will advertise with you so that's you can pay your rent and you can like take care of yourself, you know, living in New York City, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was very, it's, it's, it hasn't stopped being hard, to be honest with you. Yeah. And every time I get over one hump and one barrier, the, another one emerges because when you grow, new problems happen. So it's just has not stopped being, I have not, my level of <laughs> work has not abated. Yeah. It's at just all. different problems. Yep. Right. But so I'm sorry, you were saying, 
that after a couple of years that you started bringing in other folks? Yeah, I started bringing in interns and um, training them and having them write some of the content. And that helped a lot. And then after about two and a half, maybe three years, I brought in my first two paid freelancers. Wow. And um, and have since built up. We have now 10 freelancers that we work with and um, a, a, just a really sweet, small team of excellent writers that have stuck with me for the past, you know, three, four, some five years. And Are you managing everything yourself yes. still? Do you have an assistant? Nope. You're <laughs> okay. Are you still doing much reporting? Um, I sometimes have to jump in and do reporting. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's not a regular thing. It's not. It may be once or twice a month. Okay. So you've gone from doing all the stories by yourself mm -hmm. to managing a team of writers yes. to make it happen. Yes. Yeah. So you're getting a lot more news stories out is what it sounds like with all these different freelancers. Yes. And last time you and I spoke, you were saying that there's some writers you haven't even met. Yeah. Because it's all like <laughs> it's all remote. All, it's all remote. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Okay, so two major outlets, like, they're they're trying to do what you, and, and they failed, and you've been doing it for the last nine years. Yes. And it gets down to relationships. And I think that that's what, you can't really have, you can't corporatize hyperlocal. You just can't. It's like trying to go totally against the grain. Hyperlocal is about understanding that particular group like that target group, that target neighborhood or community that you're serving and knowing them intimately and giving them a product that speaks to their needs. And if you try to corporatize something like that, it just backfills. You say this, but from what I understand, you were hoping for more resources. And then, is that still happening? You were hoping for more resources mm -hmm. and some company that helps support Mm -hmm. hyper-local news outlets yes. contacted you. Yes, yes. Village Media. They've Tell been, us more. Tell yeah, us more. Village Media has been a lifesaver for me um, over the past five months. They reached out to me in February. I thought it was another service that was just trying to market themselves to me. They actually took about a month before I stopped, slowed, and read, read the email and realized that it could be potentially something that I could benefit from. But basically, they're a Canadian-based company that provides back-end support for small to mid-sized news publishers. And I mean, basically a whole newsroom. It's like an add water and grow situation where they come in and you've got someone that works on your uh, back-end of your site, you someone that deals with your server problems, one a team that deals with your advertising and managing that, a team that deals with your graphic design, um, a team that deals with your social, and even a team, now they have a news desk that writes um, rewrites press releases and other news items for you and provides you like written news stories. So how, how did they find you? <laughs> um, well, so they're part of a Google News initiative. They had been doing what they were doing in Canada for a while and had been extremely successful in elevating the profile of some very, very, very small uh, news sites. And um, they linked with Google. And I, from what I understand, and I might not getting be getting this 100% correct, but from what I understand, Google wanted to see how that would um, work in the U.S. And so provided them the financial resources to elect 10 news desks in the United States that had potential for growth and could, with some support, and they chose BK Reader. And I mean, it was somewhat arbitrary. It just so happened to be that one of the people who was on that selection team um, was went to my alma mater. And I spoke the year before um, with Maurice Dubois on a panel that she was on. We both went to Northwestern. We both graduated from Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. And um, so I was invited as an alumnus and during uh, Women's History Month to speak on the panel. And um, she remembered me and she remembered, you know, her, she, she remembered my site. So when it was time to select one, she gave my name and they followed up and it's been amazing. It's been like arbitrary? having a news day. It's, you know, working for, for me. It's amazing. Yeah. But it's like, ugh. I mean, it's, I love hearing this from um, business owners. They're like arbitrary or it's luck or it's just like, yeah, but you did, you did X, Y, Z before this happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not yeah. like, it's not like, oh, I don't know where this thing came from. Like you 
participate in the panel. How easily you could it could have been if it's like, oh hey, do you want to you know speak on this panel with Maurice Dubois? And you could just said no, like mm-hmm. intimidating as fuck. Like no, no, thank you, I don't want to do that. But you <laughs> said yes, and this person remembered you. Yes, and you know the work that you put in to go to Northwestern, so you could be part, you know, be from the same alma mater as this yes. other person. Yes. Yeah, yeah, not arbitrary. Love you. <laughs> um, so the the thing that I loved when you told me about Village Media was how it is that it came to you. Because from what I understand, you're really big into, like, manifestation mm-hmm. and, like, putting your focus on you know, goal setting. Goal setting, manifestation, I think, you know, it, it depends on, like, what school of thought you come from. But, like, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, you you had had it in your head that you needed – this much money mm-hmm. to be able to garner yourself more resources. Right. You didn't get the money part, but the resources seem to f- seem to have fallen in your lap like yes. five months ago. Yes. And you were talking about how hyper local is based on relationships. Uh-huh. And yet all these this team out in Canada uh-huh. is going to do all this stuff for you. Like how is the person going to do well, how's the person going to do advertising, help you with the advertising? But I guess you are established. So what, are they just reaching out to your your contacts that, who have advertised with you? Like, how's this working? So um, they manage advertising. So there's a whole system. They, they're called ad ops, but there's a whole system to um, advertising in um, newspapers, where, especially the digital side, where there's this program called, you know, Google Ad Manager, you have to program the the ads into certain spaces on the site. You have to program in the CPMs and the impressions. I'm sorry, CPMs. Yeah, <laughs> cost per mil. Oh yeah, okay. And um and the impressions, and you have to pro- program in, of course, the timeline, the flight dates. They call it. All those things require programming, and even how much the ad costs, because mm-hmm. they want to know at the end when it reports back how much did this ad cost per impression. Mm-hmm. So there, it's you. You're automating how the ads display and how they react and how they report. Mm-hmm. And um, that takes someone that understands that system. So when I get someone that's like, okay, I'm interested in purchasing an ad for two months on your site and this is my budget, I then forward it to them mm-hmm. and they program it up and have the uh, flight dates cool. kind of set in place. Yeah. And then at the end of it, they send me screenshots of once it goes live and at the end of it, they send me the report that I give to the client, the, the advertising. Yeah. So they just handled that aspect of it. Got it. So they're more back office support. Yes. So they they provide back. There's a lot of back office support that's being provided through Village Media that I was dealing with or paying, you know, a consultant the entire time. So oh, wow. now that has been taken, you know, off my my hands. But yeah. you touched upon something that I, w- I want to circle back to because mm-hmm. I think it's really important when people are, do you speak about intentions on your show and, and, and manifestations um, or not really? Yeah. yeah. I think it just depends on the person. Yeah. Like the last person we interviewed, and I don't know what order we're going to put this out in, but the last person we spoke to was Xenia. Okay. You know, nice. it's like she's she's all about like touching that veil. Yeah. Yeah. And in my own life, I've definitely touched the veil a few times and, you know, it's there. It's yes. like I'm of the spiritual sort. Yes. Yeah. So... And this is what I've learned. Oh, also on this site, uh-huh. on this podcast, no holds barred. Like, okay. we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> like, you want to talk about women's sexual health. You want to talk about, like, uh, the the play of the black woman. You want to talk about being a minority. You want to talk about, like, you know, celestial bodies. You know, <laughs> no holds barred. <laughs> Go for it. Open. Okay. Cool. So the, the idea of, like, manifestation, that's something that I've been working on and, and trying to really make a part of my business plan. Okay. Mm. So it's not something you can necessarily write into your business plan, but <laughs> I know that yeah. but nobody's if, gonna go for that. I, I'm I I'm manifesting that I will be making two hundred thousand dollars. But yeah say a business plan <laughs> is feels like that essentially without saying manifest yes, manifestation. You are writing down your intention. Right. Yes. You may not be using those words, but it's like a business plan it is if you've never written a business plan, it's like shooting in the dark. Yeah, like it is. you have a rough idea. It's like we're n- none of us are psychics. No, none of us can um, predict the future. But there's so much forecasting that goes into a business plan. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and you're. That's why it's important. Even when you have in your head, this is simple. I know what I'm going to do. I've done this before. Yeah, it's really important to write it down hmm. because that's part of the manifestation. And I had gotten to a place in November where I saw that my I had a, a resource, an, an advertising resource for two years that was pretty steady and was helping to prop up the business and even help grow it. 
that I knew was going to end in November mm -hmm. of 2021. And so I saw that there was nothing that was going to replace it. It was a significant amount of money. It Without was, hope of renewal? Or? No renewal. It okay. was the end of the contract. And I was hoping by the end of that two-year contract, I had grown enough that I would have attracted something that was equal. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so when December came, I literally was almost, I said, I'm about a month, 30 days away from, which is terrible that I didn't have more in reserve, but I literally was operating at capacity and barely paying myself, just trying to grow the business. Mm -hmm. um, everything was going to salaries. Mm -hmm. You know, and me most of the time not getting paid, but everything was going to salaries just to grow the business. And that was a mistake. In hindsight, I looked, I should have been using one of those salaries, even a freelancer to save for, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. not even a rainy day, but just to have a reserve. Mm -hmm. And I, I had about a 45 day reserve and I saw it just being eaten up and 45 days came and went like this. And I suddenly was like, at the point where I might have to close the business. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that previous year I was making, I was doing about between 11 and 12,000 a month in mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and it was because of this contract that I had. And so I said, in order to continue and also grow the way I want, I need about 20 to $25,000 a month in revenue. I don't know where it's gonna come from, but the same way that I was able to get the 12, I should be able to get at least 20 to 25. This is what I'm putting out there. This is what I'm going to manifest. And this is what I need. That next month came nothing. I was falling so deep in a hole. I was borrowing from my mother. She she maxed out her credit cards for me. Wow. And this is, I felt terrible because I'm supposed to be taking care of my mom at this point in her life. You know, she's an elderly, she's retired. And, you know, between my sisters and I, the, the three of us, we should be taking care of our mother. And- we weren't at that place still. And here I am maxing out her, her cards. My husband, I was leaning on him very heavily. Um, he was, he, we fell behind like almost three months in our rent because he was giving me to pay wow. for the writers. He's like, listen, I can't keep paying your writer's salary. If this is not going to work, you're going to, you know, this doesn't make sense. You're going to have to come up with a better solution. And I, I kept putting it out there. And then Village Media came and I was like, I can't pay for another service. I'm barely able to stay open right now. And I'm like weeks from having to shut down. After eight years in business, I couldn't believe it that I was and doing so well for the past two years that I suddenly fell so hard, so fast. And so, I mean, I'm freaking out at this point. And then Village Media comes and they're like, okay, you know, we're looking at you. You have to go through a review. You're going to be interviewed by... Wait, I forget. How did they finally get your attention? Did they call you and be like, hey, we are trying to reach out to you? <laughs> the woman that I went to, um, that was uh. went to my alma mater, Natalie, she's like, Zawadi. Yes, she emailed me. She's <laughs> yeah. like, you don't remember me, but I was on, you know, I was watching that panel you did two years ago. I'm from Northwestern. I went to your alma mater. You were great. We're trying to get in touch with you to consider you for this, you know, program. I'm still at this point, I was like, all right, I'll respond because she went to my alma mater. I love Northwestern, by the way. They gave the best journalism education ever. And so Amazing. I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for them. And so I, I said, okay, I'll listen to her at least. You know, I'm still not trying to take on any more costs. And so I got on the phone with them. They told me all these things that they offer. And I said, well, how much is all of this? And they said $22,000. And I was like, well, um, I can tell you right now, I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's lovely, but I, I can't even come anywhere close to affording that. They're like, no, what we're calling to tell you about is that we are selecting 10 and we'd like you to go in front of our review board. We can't guarantee that you'll be chosen, but, you know, we are looking at you as a potential you know, candidate for this program. I was like, oh, sure. OK, well, I'll go in front of your review board. That'll be great. So I went in front of their review board, you know, at this point, you know, there's a little bit of um, ego that was tied into my thinking. I'm like, you guys have no idea what I've been through. I got to be reviewed by you. Like mm. I'm trying to pay my rent and trying mm -hmm. to like get my whatever, you know, so I was still kind of flipping about it and like whatever and went before the review board, answered their questions, still somewhat like uh, kind of standoffish and withdrawn. And then he, um, <laughs> hey, we're trying to give you $22,000 in services. And you're like, bitch, I don't, I can't handle this. I, I, didn't, I didn't halfway believe it. I thought it was a scheme or something to it. And so yeah. when they told, called me back and told me, you know, that I was selected, I was like, okay, great. So what, what is this again? <laughs> 
and and he explains it to me. And this time I really listened. He explained oh, to man, me girl. all the elements. And he's like, and again, he's like, it's for a year you get it for free, and we'll do it complimentary for twenty just to see, you know, how we can lift your business up. They're trying to get a presence throughout the U.S. broadly, and Google wants to see what they do with these ten businesses. And so I'm like, so they're motivated to do well with yeah. my site. And right. like beyond motivated, they want to show. And they were so excited because they got a Brooklyn market. Like that was hot to them. I didn't know. But that was hot to them. Brooklyn market and an African-American woman. Because, you know, right now. after You didn't deal- know, even though you didn't know that you were hot to them, even though you're reporting in Brooklyn. I didn't necessarily because I'm struggling. Everybody oh. in news is struggling right now. Everybody. So what's hot? Got We're it. all struggling, you know right. what I'm saying? Got it, got and it. I mean, even the bigger papers. And the, the fact that you were struggling was like, how can you view my business as a hot commodity? Yeah. I can't make it. I'm yeah. like struggling. Like, you're to make using it. me somehow in the back of my head to yeah, do yeah, your yeah. experiments or whatever. So <laughs> but if you can do something great for free, then let's let's go for it. And then they're like, again, this is twenty two thousand, but you'll have it for free. And then it took me almost I probably about almost two weeks to realize that I had manifested what I asked for and mm. that I said I needed twenty to 25000 to lift my business up. And I actually manifested it. But because it didn't look the way I was expecting mm-hmm. it to look, mm-hmm. I didn't see it immediately. And it even after they brought me on, I still didn't see it immediately. And then <laughs> when I realized I have an agency working for me, like with seven departments, meeting with me weekly, giving me reports, telling me how things are going on their end, and... I have a whole newsroom behind me now to help support me that would have cost me $22,000 that I don't have to pay for. And here's my gift. And so my whole lesson in that and what I'm continuing to do is that you should put your will and your intentions out there and then let it go and not define in your head what you think it'll look like. And, you know, continue to to ask for general things, continue to ask for help. In you know, in certain ways, but don't um, get locked into what that is going to look like because the whole um, the whole thing about faith is moving blindly, Amen. and we want so bad for our faith to look like what we have set in our heart for it to look like because we have it in our head. We've been mm-hmm, told so much: mm-hmm. visualize, visualize, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so when we visualize, we, we and they say be specific you know, about things. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling now my friends and my, my closest, you know, people who are close to me, visualize what it is that your heart needs and your, your what you want out of life, out of your work, you know, out, what you need to be able to move about this earth and feel happy. Visualize that amongst your being and allow the universe to decide what that looks like for you, what's best for you. Because you don't know what's best for you. You really don't until later. You know, we always see things later and we're like, that's why that happened. Reverse engineering. Yes. <laughs> it's like, so if you do it that way, you won't be disappointed and you also won't miss opportunities. I almost missed this opportunity because I was assuming that it was another monkey on my back and that I didn't need. And, you know, it kept knocking on my door and here it, here it is what I had been praying for and asking for and and willing in my life, I need 22, you know, I'm still struggling. Let me say that for, in terms of revenue, but in terms of the growth of the business, it's moving in a way that I could not have moved it and big, taking big steps in ways that I could not have moved it where I was at. In just the five months. In, in just in five months, my- Wait, music- I'm sorry. Five months is when they contacted you or five months is when you started working together? So we started um, early June. So it's been June, July, August, and September. you know, half of September. So it's actually three and a half, and a half months. Um, they reached out to me in February and they selected me in April. And um, we got everything up and running like early June. So it's in just that short amount of time. You know, my newsletter subscriptions went from 3,500. They had flattened at around 3,000. They would fluctuate between three to 3,500, go down, go up. Mm-hmm. For about five years, I was so frustrated. I was like, why does it not move past 3,000? Like, what can I do with 3,000 subscribers? Yeah. Uh, it moved from 3,000. It tripled. I'm already at close to 12,000 within four months. Like, it they, quadrupled. It quadrupled. It qua- yeah, it quadrupled. Yeah. It's not just because I'm Asian. I'm not that good at math. <laughs> well, <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually is an exact triple at this point. Like three times thirty five hundred. It comes. It's like oh, a, okay. It's a, so it's I was like an eleven. 
11,800 yeah. right now. Yeah, it was working with the three number. Yeah. But okay. by the it'll be close to quadruple by the end of this month that, at the rate that it's moving. That's incredible. Yeah. And um, is that social outreach? How are they doing that? Paid. They're paying. They, that's another thing. They're doing some on Facebook. They're running paid ads to mm. subscribe to the newsletter. Wow. Got you it. know, yeah. so, so they're really doing outreach. They're doing serious outreach. Like this is this is a serious like this is what a corporation would do for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Pay for this, pay for that. Do mm-hmm. you know? So some of it's earned media, some of it's paid media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're hitting every touch point, every weak spot that I had, and I wasn't able to like do. I couldn't pay for advertising for BK Reader on Facebook. You right. know, on the, to, especially ongoing, you know? on the scale that they're doing it. On the scale that they're doing it, absolutely. And um, they've signed up for these. Oh, it, it's amazing what they've done in terms of just bringing me up to speed and um, professionalizing uh, my response times and my mm-hmm. product to my clients. Mm-hmm. It's um, been such a huge blessing. And so I'm seeing so much growth on the, in terms of my the business development, the revenue is the last sort of frontier. Mm-hmm. Is and that revenue model that cracking that nut has been it, it it continues to be a challenge for all newspapers right now. Yeah, and but tell me more about the how it is that they have advanced your business development personally. Well, um, traffic has increased, and um, is it just you? You mean, do you mean by that, like, seeing what it is that they're doing in terms and how it's affecting your business? Well, I mean, you know, business development in terms of, you know, the growth. Like, okay. it's, 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 it's growing. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, sure. No, I, I wasn't sure if there was, like, something you were picking up. Yeah, the business is picking up. But, like, what are you getting from this, um, this, this experience with Village Media? Oh, that's such a good question. Besides feeling gratitude, I think what I'm learning is um, processes. Mm. Uh, I spent some time in corporate before I launched BK Readers, uh, quite a bit of time, and it helped me in terms of setting my business up. Back, I I, I launched the original media group, my, my business, in 2000. So it's mm. 22 years old. Wow. I didn't start BK Reader till 2013, mm-hmm. but I was doing, you know, I was an entrepreneur prior to that. So um, I had a, a very strong business background and 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 I have a business degree, a, a bachelor's oh, in business. Okay. So um, I wait. Had, so you didn't get a journalism <clears throat> degree, or that's your grad degree? Yeah, journalism master's. Got it. So um, they're showing me, um, they're bringing me up to twenty first century mm. of how to do business in a digitized environment. Mm. And Which is so interesting yeah. because that's like, that was the thing that Patch was going for and like, how do you do this? Yes. And, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a good 10 years since people started first jumping into this sort of hyper-local pool. And of course, there's like some lessons learned and there's some things that people are now doing better and have figured out. We haven't figured it totally out. Um, we're still seeing unprecedented numbers of sites closing. Mm. But there are some things that people are figuring out along the way. Like, for instance, many are moving into the nonprofit. They're moving their business from for-profit to nonprofit. Interesting. Um, They've learned, they've come to accept the fact that um, reporting news is more of a public service. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's not, it really fits better into a nonprofit. Yeah. So you're not doing brilliant. Paying for clients, to, right. you know, they expect some pay to play. Right. So you're right. not doing that. You're not beholden to like brands. Yeah. So getting it from going 501c3 and getting it from sure. philanthropists and people who care about yeah. news. But also when I, a um, couple of my entrepreneur friends, when they freelance, they just don't charge the nonprofits as much because there's this idea that the nonprofits don't have money. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends has figured out, oh, you name your price and then they, they um, factor you into a grant application. Yeah. But still the same thing. It's like, yes, this is, it's like how viewing corporate versus nonprofit and yeah. like the all the um, the web just looks different. Yes. Yeah. In yes. terms of connections. It does. So, yeah. But yeah. Philanthropists. God, that's brilliant. Yeah. So some are moving into the, mm-hmm. the, the nonprofit model. A lot are moving into that model to try to save themselves. Um, others are coming up with product news products. Yeah. What, a new, what do news that's products a new look thing like now? So a news product isn't a T-shirt or a mug that has your your logo on it. (laughs) A news product is something that can serve as news that people will subscribe to. So the new model for anything from Uber to like, um, you know, those boxes that we get are subscriptions. Uh So that's how people are making money today is through subscriptions. Okay. You pay subscriptions that you automatically have deducted from your account and you get, you know, something for that. 
you know. Okay. If you think about it, in news, so they're having to come up with products. So it's beyond just, you know, for some, it's the straight newsletter. So you see the New York Times doing it best. They broke all their news up into like, 10 mm. different parts. Right. And they're allowing you to subscribe individually to mm-hmm. whatever specific news mm-hmm. you want. And it makes you feel as though, oh, I don't have to get the subscribe to the whole newspaper. I can just subscribe to sports. Right. But it actually, by breaking it down like that, it makes them more money. Right. Whereas, you know, before they folded it into one, you're paying a $9.99 a month subscription. Now they can make each one $2.99. That's crazy. Or whatever it is. Yeah. And you've got 20. And so, like, yeah. piecemealing it like that is actually a better and the KPIs are really different because you can see, it's like before, like uh, you get lots of traffic towards one category category versus another category. Mm-hmm. But then when the person's actually willing to pay for it, mm-hmm. then I wonder how much that has changed, like um, the direction that uh, news categories are filtered. Are filtered, yes. And they're they're building out their categories now. Yeah. Now that they see that this is... Oh my God, games is its own category. Like, yes. To be able to access the New York Times crossword, incredible. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. So that's the way that they... And they're doing so well. They're killing yeah. it. I bet they are. They went from almost having to close. They had a massive Did closure in, during two, around 2010 to 2012. Massive layoffs. Yeah. Close to closure. They were so, they were quaking and they were so scared and they figured this out. So mm. news products. Yeah. And so people are, are coming up with ideas for how do you take news and turn it into something that's customized enough that somebody will want mm-hmm. to actually pay for the subscription as opposed to saying, oh, I'm just covering all this news mm-hmm. and you may not feel like you need all of it. Right. That kind of makes a person dissuade. Like if you were to subscribe to like, let's say a pet box, you have two, three pets. Yeah. You decided to get like a pet box. The first couple of times you get it, oh, cool, they can use this, and they like this bowl, and they like that. And then you find that half of it you can't really use. They don't like the taste of the food or the snacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. After two or three times, and you're finding that the box yeah. isn't 100% Right. What am I used. paying for? Yeah, what are you paying for? And then you stop. But if you were told, okay, you can pay a fraction of what you were paying before and get exactly what you want. Right. The arts the and science section. Just yes. the arts and science <laughs> section, right? People yes. will say, yeah, okay, that makes more sense to me. You care about me. You don't want to try to gouge me. And so it comes off as feeling and and, and, and looking as though it's... it's customizing. Yes. Custom, everything's about customization now. So, so that said, yeah. mm-hmm. what are you hoping for for BK Reader? So um, I'm hoping for, well, I'm developing a news product right now. I'm a part of the Black News uh, Project. It's a product oh, development team. Oh, tell me team. more. That's tell through NYU. Okay. And um, I've been in that for six months, so I'm developing a product. Can't really talk too much about okay. what it is. But can you tell me what the Black News, wait, was it, what'd you call it? The NYU program? B, it's called BMP. It's BMP, so Black Media um, Product yeah. Initiative. Can you talk to me more about that? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. They chose, um, we had to apply for it. It was a grant, grant-based program. So News Product is now a new course that they're teaching and offering. You know, you could, you could either enroll in the school, you could take it, or you could take it, you know, just as a news publisher, period, and pay for it. So what they were able to do is get a grant that would pay for 20 of us to um, be able to work with these different specialists across every sector of news to develop a news product. So we would get feedback every week. So we meet each week for a couple of hours and we have assignments and things due. And so I'm a part of that and I'm developing a product that's supposed to be close to launch. Um, What we call the MVP should be done by the end of next month. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, so I'm working on a product and then I'm working with Village Media to help make sure that the business is, is sustained. And my biggest hurdle is coming up with a program that will resonate with what I call anchor institutions and community development, CBOs, leaders in the community that will want to be a part of helping to finance news. It's getting the community, the people who are earning the most and, and, and making the most money off the community, it's getting them to see the value of news mm-hmm. and wanting to invest in it. And getting them to, ha- to be in that place. They're so, we've taken news for granted. I mean, at yeah. this point, we're 20 years in. Nobody feels like they have to pay for news. Hold on. Er, sorry. What would you call it? The Community... Leaders Program. The Community Leaders Program. Is this something you also developed as, out of the Black Media? No, um, that's Village Media. That's Village Media. That's Village Media, okay. Community Leaders Program. So we, we target community anchors, like, you know, the Rebels... The National Grids, the Brooklyn Navy Yards, our anchors who, you know, Barclays. Mm -hmm. And um, we offer them the opportunity to 
not only just advertise, do direct advertising on the site, but also sponsor a topic that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. So all of like, for instance, if we chose homelessness, Mm -hmm. if we had ongoing stories every month on homelessness, it would Mm -hmm. say sponsored by, for instance, Barclays Center. So they get to attach themselves to something that they that means a lot and shows that you're helping to finance news you're helping to you know build news up and letting people know letting the public know that this is the serious issues that are happening yes and so without having an editorial voice or say in it without your brand being in it but saying we support it we support you through this particular type of reporting and in this particular topic in our city so we're offering that and we're also offering you know opportunities to align themselves with our amazing calendar we have a community calendar that's probably the most robust in all of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we do sponsored oh. posts too. Sorry, I, I didn't even think to ask. What neighborhoods are you covering? We're now covering. We've expanded from four. And we're now covering all of Brooklyn. No, get out. Yeah, That's we amazing. went. Yeah, we went from <laughs> four to eight to ten, and then this summer we just opened up to all of Brooklyn. That's so amazing. we're covering all. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Man. So that's you know that's basically just working on every and trying trying every angle we can. You know, to to stay alive. And it continues to be challenging and and continues to be hard. But, you know, um, backtrack. Let's backtrack real quick in terms of getting sponsorship for um, news topics. It sounds incredible. Like, you know, getting higher tiered advertising clients, let's say. Yes. To invest in news stories. Right. I'm assuming that you can green light or red light, whatever the project is. Um, My concern is, you know. The, how divisive news has become. Like these media outlets are right and these media outlets are left. Mm-hmm. Is there a concern at all of like that possibly happening? These uh, people sponsoring news articles, but for their own agenda. Because they don't have any editorial control mm-hmm. over it. These are topics that we would cover in the way we would cover anyway. Got it. Got it. Um, but now we're supported. Got now it. we have the funds and the financing mm-hmm. to make sure that they're covered you know, accurately, mm-hmm. you know, comprehensively mm-hmm. and regularly. Yeah. And whereas before, you know, what we covered and how often we covered depended upon my budget from month to month. Got it. Now, That's you know, interesting. with them sponsoring it, mm-hmm. we can see regular, like twice a month, they'll see yeah. Yeah. this topic addressed. Yeah. Are you giving them a menu of topics they can choose yes. from? Yes. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. That's so brilliant. we've we've listed out 10 primary topics and we kind of mm-hmm. open it up to them. What do you care about? What's what are your what's your goal? at your company mm-hmm. in terms of like, cause sometimes it lines right with theirs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's a big real estate agency, it might be, um, they, they might be, are claiming that they're concerned about, um, like I'm saying claiming, um, <laughs> uh, food security or something like that, yeah. you know, being in food deserts or if it's mm. a, let's say if it's a, a Wegmans, yeah. you okay. know, they might all these or something. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's say that they're like, Oh, we're concerned about, you know, making sure that, uh, organic and sustainable food is being delivered in news deserts. Mm-hmm. So, um, because of you know they want to deserts in food deserts. In food deserts. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, so like, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're news deserts. No, we all have the internet, we do, don't we? We do have news deserts still. Uh, that we're we're in this country. Yes, it's oh hard to God. think. It's hard to think about because everybody has a device in their hand. Yeah. Not everybody has. The majority of people have a device in their hand. Oh, or yeah. they know somebody in Brooklyn alone, we're we're trying to tackle that now. Wow. There's news deserts in Cypress Hills. Do you ever hear of any news really coming out of Cypress Hills? Um, a lot of in a lot of East Brooklyn, wow. there it's not covered like you know wow. it should be. And we're trying to of oh, course sorry. be there and change that. When I think of news deserts, I think of like when I think I think of news deserts in the same way I think of food deserts. Like they just don't have access to that stuff. But you're talking about like we're not hearing about when you say news deserts. You're t- talking about. There's no one on the ground to report it. And both. It goes both uh, ways. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. There's no food there and there's no consumption. There's no news consumption. Got it. You know, and one kind of works with they, the other. They tend to work in tandem yes. is what you're saying. Yes. They tend to coincide. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So changing that and changing the news reading habits of people in the deserts and all of that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, what were we talking about? A lot. We were talking about a lot. <laughs> I, I am still interested in, like, I, I get that you're developing a news media product that seems to be the way of the f- uh, current future for mm-hmm. media, um, and you're covering all of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, the topic we have not covered is that eventually, and I don't, we probably won't get into this too much, but uh, you'll be moving to the UAE at some point <laughs> and working remotely yourself. But what, 
in in working with Village Media and for yourself, what are you manifesting for BK Reader now? A lot of things. I can, it can go. I actually have a couple of doors open, which may sound confusing, <laughs> but I, you know, I just want to see it either um, really, really take off in a big way for 2023. I need it to be sustained, sustainable. Mm-hmm. I need for the revenue to be sustainable and show sustainability, the possibility of sustainability long term, mm-hmm. not a contract that is going to end. You know, nothing is last forever, mm-hmm. but I need to see enough of these type of community leaders programs stacked up and see a success of it building in a way that I can continue to do it over and over again. So I need a sustainable model for um, BK Reader to really cement itself mm-hmm. in the next couple of months, or I need for it to have a good enough presence to sell. I am interested in possibly selling it. Okay. So one of those two options. Mm-hmm. Um, I care very, very much about, it's like my baby. Mm-hmm. So I care very much about what direction it goes in. Mm-hmm. And if someone were to buy it, actually what it would sell for as yeah. well is, is important. So those two things are, are going to have play a big role in whether or not I sell it. But, um, and I want it to be in the hands of someone that cares about news and cares about the community in the mm-hmm. same way that I do. Mm-hmm. And um, if I don't see that happening, then I'll, you know, probably be less um, compelled to to sell it. Yeah. But I want to see it in somebody's hands that can take it to the next level that has the financing um, mm-hmm. and to continue it. I don't ever want to see it shut down. So, right. and, and also just as a per, a business person in general, I've just come to learn that it's, they tell you in business, it's about scaling. Mm-hmm. You know, we learned that even in 10,000 small businesses, it's about whether or not your business can scale. Yeah. Once you scale, that is supposed to be a sign of like health, yeah. you know, financial health. You've figured out a model and you can replicate it right. and you understand how to get, do market entry and do what you did before. So it's like franchising almost. So, but I've come to understand that it depends on the type of business you have. It's not always about the scale, especially when it comes to something that's so hyper-local and so mm-hmm. customized. Yes. You don't really scale in the same way. You really have yeah. to start from scratch right. in each market. So, And just you know, being involved with in the, the uh, cryptocurrency industry, just reading what's going on in the stock market, just understanding business a little bit more, I'm understanding that it's really more not about the hold, but about the exit. It's not about the whole, but about the exit. Yeah. It's like when you are uh, looking to grow yourself as a business person, investors are looking at what businesses you've exited. They're not looking at what businesses you hold. Hmm. They're not looking at your uh, necessarily your real estate portfolio. They mm-hmm. want to see what you've been able to successfully sell and mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's become like the businesses yeah. are now the new stock market, like right. the new trade. Right. So you're not, and even when it, in real estate, it's not about holding on to the real estate forever. It's about when do you sell it like a stock, yeah. you know, yeah. when it's at its peak before it drops again. Right. So it's not about the whole, you're not supposed to hold on forever to something anymore. Yeah. You're supposed to exit. Yeah. And like, where did you exit? How much did you exit for? How right. long did it take you to exit? Right. All those things play into whether or not you get another yeah round of financing mm-hmm, and then they're like make mm-hmm. this business and it doesn't even have to be in the same industry make this grow mm-hmm. this and exit right grow this and exit so i'm sorry you bring this up because how's that apply to you because that's one of the reasons why i have become okay with letting my business ah, go even it. though it's my passion yes i'm okay with exiting got it i'm okay with the exit yeah I am. the sop that that uh, the standard of practice that that holds for like any Anyone doing business. Yes. Yeah. And I would love to maybe start a new project. And I need those, I need those uh, financiers or investment bankers or whatever to see that I did a successful exit of a company that I had for 10 years, which is Mm -hmm. a solid amount of time, Mm -hmm. and that I'm worth investing in again, Mm -hmm. if that's what I choose to go the investment route. So if you don't have someone buying your, let's say mm-hmm. you don't have someone buying BK Reader, but BK Reader is the, the business that you want it to be. It's, a, it's sustainable. It can, um, you have enough revenue. It can keep going. Would you stay in it? Yeah, like, sure. You would just stay in it then? I, if, if I could find a sustainable revenue model mm-hmm. that has proven, you know, successful, that I can continue to, you know, replicate over and over and bring in as clients. Oh, absolutely. I would love because I've been working 
you know, all this time to get to that point. And I would love to be able to sit in that for, you know, a yeah. little while and build it up because everybody's trying to crack that nut. Mm-hmm. So for me, being able to crack that nut would be so satisfying yeah. and being able to actually enjoy the fruits yeah. of that would be so satisfying for me. If that, you know, doesn't necessarily happen, I'm going to be probably looking to exit. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they kind of go hand in hand, right? If it's a self-sustaining model, then makes you more appealing to be able to sell, right? Yeah, yes and no. So most, a lot of exits happen, I'm making up this statistic, I'm guessing, but probably <laughs> a, a good 50% of exits that happen are with companies that are about to go bankrupt. Oh, really? So it's not really about having, oh, yeah, showing yeah. financial okay. health. It's like, oh, we're going to buy you out, you know. Right, there's something here. There's, yeah, you have, yeah. there's there's equity in this that yeah. we can use. Right. We're going to buy it for this amount of money. Got you it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, like, I, when you go I to buy a new, about that, right? Yeah, when you go to buy a new car, it's not that your car doesn't necessarily work. When you go to sell it, it's not that it necessarily doesn't work anymore. It's right. just that this is what it's valued at yeah, and yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. buy it from. Right, like the CRM, that the client record management company that I work with, same thing. It's like... The, Somebody else, some other small company has like created this technology and it's just like, it'd be easier for my current CRM to buy that company, this small, tiny company that just does this one thing, but we want this one thing that you do. Yes. But being a business unto itself, doing that one thing is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Got it. With you. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I've had been approached for at least five years. I've been approached about different businesses wanting to buy. Mm -hmm. I've never followed up on a single one of those outreach because I didn't feel that I was ready to sell it yet. Got it. So I know, I know that there's people out there watching and I know Mm -hmm. that there's the possibility. I don't know if those were scams. Yeah. Because I didn't follow up. I don't know if how serious they were. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if they were from the United States. Right. I don't know if they wanted to buy me out to close me out. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if they wanted to buy me out to expand me up. I don't know. Why would they buy you out to close you out? You do this all the time. You buy people out so that there's no competition. Even though you're just doing hyper-local news. Yeah. You, you, You buy businesses out all the time so that there's no... No yeah, competition no, in that I area. That. I don't get yeah, that. Yeah, I'm covering. And actually, I should bring this up too. I'm no longer really hyper local now that I'm covering all of Brooklyn. Right. I've got 2.6 million residents. Yeah. Most hyper local is covering like a population of 100,000 or less. But as as you've illustrated earlier, it doesn't seem to be sustainable to have such a small population of subscribers. Uh, you know, because if you're only doing like four neighborhoods, then at, at some point you reached a cap of subscribers. And that was like five years you didn't move past this number. And now that you're, you've broadened the market, your numbers are going to quadruple in terms of subscribers. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with this Village Media Partnership. Um, sure, being able but to in have terms the- of like what's sustainable and like it's like is hyperlocal sustainable if you have such a small market. Actually, the more hyperlocal you get, the more sustainable it is. Really? Yes, the more hyperlocal because you're so focused and targeted on your audience. Like imagine if you were in Podunk, um, Iowa, and the <laughs> only paper you have there covering right. your community is that paper. Right. And they're covering, they know the streets, they know the person walking down the streets every right. day. That They know what happens at the bus stop. Everyone is involved in that news because it's so hyper-targeted. Yeah. So 2.6 million people is still not like hyper It's not considered hyper I mean, at this point, no, especially when, like I said, a neighborhood such as Park Slope yeah. is miles apart from the issues that you would experience in Cypress Hills or even Bushwick. Right. They're so different. different. Yeah. They're like little cities, tiny little cities our neighborhoods are. And so trying for, to... For anyone listening and you don't live in New York and you don't know what New York is like, it's like, it's such a big city. No, we're just really tiny villages in such close proximity to each other. Absolutely. You describe that perfect because each neighborhood is like a little village. It is literally you're living in Williamsburg and Bushwick. We are right next door to each other. Totally different vibe. Totally percent. Saturday night. Oh, my God. Wow. The parties are so different on Saturday nights. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right. You're adjacent right Right. next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And even Bushwick so different than Bed-Stuy. We're right next to Bushwick. Mm -hmm. And. You know, Bed-Stuy, very different than um, Brownsville, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and we're right next to Brownsville. So it's like each, it, it's so funny. You could totally be on some rep your name in, right. in, in very easily in Brooklyn. Yeah. 
But you know, I'm a Queens girl. Like I know when I've crossed the border, I can feel it. It's just different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Queens is now. Let's not get into the boroughs, girl. Queens is a different world in Brooklyn. And was it who did you know who called it? It's like the most international city, or air, it's the number one place to visit because it's the most international, diverse place to visit in the entire world. Oh my god, something. the yeah. entire world is here. Right. Every country is represented here. Like countries you'd never even knew existed right. is represented in New York City. So, you know, just even meeting those needs of the Haitian, <laughs> in, you know, community and then the Russian yeah. community. Like, uh, girl. everybody yeah. has a different agenda. So and you got 2.6 million people. Yes. To cater to. To cater to. How? But Exactly. Yeah, right. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, you know? we're not even going there. We're not even going there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even like a typical city. Like, even in L.A., which is the second largest city, they have more of a, a cohesive spread. You know, of course, they've got mm. different... They've got the Asian community there. They've got the Mexican community there. And then they've got, like, the rest of America, really. Yeah. But... Oh, what, and there's a large Canadian population there, too. In, in, in L.A.? I in didn't LA. know that. Yeah. It's, uh, like... I don't remember. It's it's an old stat. I don't remember exactly, but it's, like, the second largest outside of, like, one of the big cities in Canada or something. Wow. Yeah. A Canadian told me this. So. I did not know that, but they would know. They would know. <laughs> Canadians love to stick together. Yeah. <laughs> but in New York, oh my God, forget about it. You know, we've got the largest population of um, Jews outside of Israel, the largest yeah. of Puerto Ricans outside of Puerto Rico, wow. the largest of Dominicans outside of um, Dominican oh, wow, Republic, really? the largest mm-hmm. of um, Hasidic Jews as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just crazy. We're, I think you told me the stat that Brooklyn, if it were its own city, would be... The third largest in the country. If we were to separate out from New York, yeah. Manhattan... Yeah. So right now, Manhattan is the largest. So okay. even if we were to separate out, yeah. Manhattan would be first, LA would be second, and Brooklyn, Brooklyn would, be, would be third. All by itself. Yep. So Manhattan is the largest city all by yes. itself? Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes. So I across all the boroughs, I believe we have like 10.6 million... Something like that. So, and then, so without just separating Brooklyn yeah. away from, you know, the rest, they're still the largest. Yeah. And then, it's crazy. Yeah. And then we're right after LA. And some have even said we've surpassed LA, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> With the fluctuation, fluctuations are like, it's so hard to keep track of such yeah. a stat. Yeah. yeah. Like, so it's like me calling myself a hyper local anymore doesn't even make sense. It made sense maybe in those four that I, neighborhoods I started, mm-hmm. but like, I'm covering a major city. And when yeah. I sometimes think about that, I'm like, I'm covering the third largest city. And you don't even have an assistant. I don't have an assistant and I need more money. Okay. Yeah, That's right. all I'm getting right now. I'm right. like, it does it like it. I don't, I think it doesn't really land on people when they hear BK reader, what it is that we're capable of doing and what it is that it could mean for the borough. Mm-hmm. We don't have many papers that, deal specifically with Brooklyn. What does it mean? Daily, on a daily. Like we're we're not only the third largest city, we're one of the top tourist destinations in the world now. People come to New York City to go directly to Brooklyn. Wow. They like bypass New York City and they're wanting to come directly to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. We're the one of the hottest brands in as far as cities go globally. Mm -hmm. Like in Germany, in Japan, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. all about Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even more than NYC now. And so it's like we have a brand name. We are a popular destination. We have our own cultural vibe. Yeah. And it's like being able, it's such a privilege to be able to say that I'm covering this city, but what it takes to do it in a way that's, you know, full, comprehensive, useful to the entire borough. Um, I'm, I would just need wait. I need New York Times uh, muscle <laughs> actually <laughs> so, at, at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. So, so it sounds like you want to be able to provide news for this borough. I would love, I mean, I want to see the site success. I want to see BK Reader be successful and useful. It's more than anything useful. useful. Yeah, Yeah, more than anything useful because a product is not, doesn't have a value if it's not useful to right, people, right? You know, so that's that's always sticking in my head. We talked about that too in, um, you know, um, ten thousand small businesses, the Goldman Sachs program we were mm-hmm. in. We talked about products being useful. Mm-hmm. Like we can love a product, we can think what we have is is a amazing. great idea and right. amazing, but. How many people are going to find it actual use? Does right. it improve their lives? I don't know what it's called, but it's a, it's a thing in psychology where we tend to overvalue the thing that we own. Like, uh, it's the example is done with a mug, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how much would you buy that mug for? And, you know, people would name a price. And then 
that's one group. And another group is given a mug, how much would you sell the mug for? And it's always significant. When you own the mug, the price tag you put on it is always more significant than if what you, you would were, pay for. Yes. Oh. Interesting, right? And so this idea of like, yes, I have this incredible product and I think it's so valuable. How do I then becomes like, how do I convince you it's valuable? Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. Like anything is a commodity only if someone is willing to buy it. Right. Right? Same thing with cryptocurrency. Yes. It's, it's like we don't see, there's no intrinsic value, value in it unless we crypt- give it to the, we, right. we place it. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm always concerned about. Do they, are they finding our news stories, you know, useful? Is it helping their lives, improving their lives, adding anything? Mm-hmm. And I'm always concerned about that at the end of the day. I was like, we can put out product. I mean, we can put out, you know, right. We can create content. We can do content all day long. Is I mean, it Star, Sun, Page Six? Yes. But that's not what you're interested in. I can just put out the most garbage content that I want just <laughs> right. to make sure that, you know, there's always stuff flowing through if I want it. But do my readers, do they feel that they, um, I'm fulfilling a promise? Mm-hmm. If they take time out of their whatever schedule during the day to stop and read my headline and then go ahead and click in and read the story, mm-hmm. do I fulfill the promise that it's going to be worth their time? Yeah. And so um, that's really, really important to me that my stories yeah. keep their promise. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, <laughs> well, I no. I mean, we've talked before, mm-hmm. Bob, and there's so many. I literally have about... 50 stories about so many different things, <laughs> like in totally different directions. Yeah. So today we're talking about my business and yeah. I just appreciate that and yeah. being able to share that and yeah, happy with that. All right. So cool. That's what's happening with Be Creators Zawadi. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for allowing me to have yeah. the space yeah. to do it. I appreciate it. It's cathartic. It's beautiful. And I'm all and about you, babe. Thank you. And I'm all about you too. I am. That was my conversation with Zawadi Morris of BK Reader. Please subscribe to BK Reader for all your Brooklyn needs and news. We'll put a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening as we discuss her being there for the advent of news on the internet, witnessing the tide change for print media, how she's been able to persevere and still be here serving up local news to her communities in Brooklyn. Next week, we sit down with Megan Davidson, one of the most experienced labor or birth doulas in the country. But really, she's a master at holding space for the perinatal experience. I'd like to thank my producer, Desi, for helping me make Bank the Fire possible. And all of you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast, please go to Patreon to make a contribution or become a patron. Please follow us on social media and share our podcast. Thank you and tune in next week.